Georg Simmel, the other great classic of German sociology, and in my humble opinion, one of the most talented writers that sociology has brought forth. He tends to really quickly become the favorite of my students, not only because of his writing, but also because of the things that he's writing about, which seem very up-to-date. So Simmel's texts have aged well, and I sometimes joke about the fact that Simmel today probably would be a real hipster, at least the late Simmel, the philosopher of life and sociologist of culture. But the appeal of the later Simmel should not make us forget Simmel, the idiosyncratic sociologist, who was recognized as a brilliant mind already at his time. However, his sociology was never taken as seriously. Too different, too interactionist was his approach, and one can't help but feel that he might have been born on the wrong continent. My name is Dominic, and today we are chasing society with Georg Simmel. Introduction to Simmel's Philosophische Kultur. Jürgen Habermas writes that Simmel was more of a stimulator rather than a systematic thinker. But in the German context, not being a systematic thinker has a specific meaning. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are somewhat confused, that you cannot make your point clear or that you're unstructured, but rather that your ideas are not part of a greater Habermas hints at is that Simmel did not come up with that all-encompassing system, in this case of society, that brings together all his different thoughts and theories. Or rather, that is his theory, his theory of society. But don't let Habermas' comments fool you. Simmel did of course confront us with a number of carefully thought out and highly sophisticated theoretical concepts, many of which gradually became basic language for sociology. The stranger, the dyad, the triad, the tragedy of culture, to just name a few. For me, there are three different entrance points to Simmel's work. There is the early Simmel, a classical sociologist in the literal sense of the word, who writes about social differentiation and about the philosophy and science of history. These works contain both Weberian and Durkheimian elements, so already here Simmel is somehow crossing boundaries. And then there's a second stage of Simmel's sociological thinking, where he much more pursues his own project, his own ideas about sociology, his own theories, his own basic principles. 
This is probably the stage that kicked him out of the classical canon initially. Because his own sociology is a sociology of social interaction. Society exists where a number of individuals enter into interaction. Which seems to fit better into the American context, the American way of doing sociology, rather than the German or European one. And as it turned out, it actually did. And simultaneously to the second stage of Simmel sociological thought, there was also Simmel, the cultural sociologist or philosopher, who ended up writing a philosophy of life, Lebensphilosophie, making him an ally to Henri Bergson, for example. In this episode, we want to focus on Simmel, the social interactionist. Conflict. One of the most common and not rarely unpleasant forms of interaction in everyday life. I'm sure we all can think of hundreds of reasons why people end up in conflicts. Some may be provoked, some may happen accidentally, some may be institutionalized, but for Simmel, none of that really matters, at least from a sociological point of view. What does matter is that each conflict, irrespective of the reason that made it occur, has similar formal qualities. For example, each conflict is made up of two or more people who stand in opposition to each other. Think of class conflicts and Marxism, which would, in Simmel's eyes, be a type of conflict where one party only gets its way on the expense of the other. But there are also conflicts where both parties may profit from the conflictual situation. Think about dialectics in the Hegelian sense, where thesis and antithesis lead to a synthesis that is a mutually beneficial improvement. So conflict as such has generalizable qualities. And from here we can go further and identify subtypes conflict also generalizable and allow our theory of conflict to reach a higher stage of sophistication. This is one of the most prominent examples of what Georg Simmel has labeled formal sociology. Any social phenomenon or process is composed of two elements which in reality are inseparable. On the one hand an interest, a purpose or a motive, on the other, a form or mode of interaction among individuals through which or in the shape of which that content attains social reality. Excuse me, didn't you promise one of the best and exciting writers in the history of sociology? That sure ain't what you meant, right? Yeah, I really lost count of students who looked at me with this accusation.
accusation in their eyes. And what I tend to answer is that in order to experience and appreciate the greatness and beauty of Simmel's writing, you first have to prepare yourself and dig through the dirt of theory and abstract formulations. Which, by the way, can also be fun. But admittedly, also frustrating. And especially in Simmel's case, I oftentimes experience that students struggle quite a bit initially to grasp what Simmel is trying to say with this formal sociology that he's sketching out. But a few years back, I found someone who would help me out. A psychologist. And worse, a Darwinian psychologist. A combination that gives most sociologists the chills. Wah. But for the sake of illustration and comparison, let's go down to the dungeons of Darwinism and evolutionism. And meet Paul Ekman, who has become one of the most famous promoters of one of the real superstar theories of recent decades. The theory of basic emotions, which goes something like this. Among all the many emotions that human beings have, there are few, some say six, some eight, it differs. But there are a few that exist among all human beings, irrespective of their cultural context. That means that they exist among people who cannot have learned it from each other or from another common source. Ancestors, for example. So I hope that you agree with me that this theory really is easy to understand, which certainly may be one reason for its appeal. At the same time, it's of course still debated, and even Ekman himself changed it quite a bit throughout the years. But what does this have to do with Georg Simmel, you may ask? Well, in my interpretation, Georg Simmel proposes that we find the basic forms of social interaction, much in the same way that Ekman is looking for the basic human emotions. And if you agree with that interpretation, we might even say that Georg Simmel joins August Comte in his quest of the universal laws of society. And now here comes an intellectual stunt for you. As I identified Georg Simmel's theory as being similar to Paul Ekman's, I did so on a formal basis. My argument was that both of them make the same theoretical claim, at least formally. But whereas Ekman, the psychologist, focuses on individuals, emotions, and facial expressions, Simmel, the sociologist, focuses on social interaction. Okay, but as I say this, I realize that I need to push back a little bit. Because even though Simmel sketches out his formal sociology as a sociology of social interaction, there is also a part where he applies his reasoning to social actors, or in his wording, social types. And the most famous of these types is certainly the stranger. 
who Simmel interprets as someone who's inside and outside of a social group at the same time. A member and at the same time not a member. Close and distant. And consequently develops an attitude that does not signify mere detachment and non-participation, but is a distinct structure composed of remoteness and nearness, indifference and involvement. And because of that, the stranger receives the most surprising revelations and confidences. So even though the stranger may be a single person, or put differently, a single person may represent the stranger or fulfill the role of the stranger, it's still a deeply sociological conceptualization. Because it doesn't describe the stranger as maybe a psychologist would in terms of the consequences for the mental health of a person that ends up being a stranger in a social group. He describes the stranger in relation to a society or to a social group and he describes the stranger in its interrelation and interaction with that social group. In other words, as a social phenomenon or, as we already said, a social type. Okay, so that was a first glimpse at Georg Simmel, the theoretical sociologist. And you've now definitely earned yourselves a look at Georg Simmel, the cultural sociologist. If you want to know why the big city is the loneliest place on earth, and why it is intellectually rather than emotionally stimulating, the next episode is for you.